0: You're listening to the Easter service preached at Sojourn Church, New Albany. On Easter Sunday, we celebrate our risen Savior and His victory over sin and death. Good morning. My name is Kristen, and I'm a deacon here. We're very glad that you've joined us this morning. Thank you. You can follow along with today's reading and the bulletin on your Sojourn Collective app. Along with the weekly kids lesson, you'll find there devotional readings for each day of the week, And a whole lot more resources available. Just tap media on the app. Now hear the word of the Lord. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. "'Because they have taken away my Lord,' she replied, "'and I don't know where they have put him.'" She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. "'Dear woman, why are you crying?' Jesus asked her. "'Who are you looking for?' She thought he was the gardener. "'Sir,' she said, "'if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him, "'and I will go and get him.'" "'Mary,' Jesus said." She turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God.
1: Good morning, Sojourn. Peace be with you. My name is Jonah. I'm one of the pastors here. And thank you for making our church part of your Easter tradition. Perhaps it goes without saying, uh, but this is not how I expected today to go. Church researchers... If you can believe such a thing exists, people research what churches do and why. Church researchers say that Easter Sunday is the day everyone who calls your church home shows up on the same day. So that's why typically, on a I guess a normal year, church attendance on Easter Sunday is so large. Because these days, a regular church attender will attend once or twice a month. But on Easter Sunday, everybody shows up. So, we have extra services. We dress up, and we have photo booths. We go to brunch afterwards. So many options. Uh, If you're here in New Albany, and you're a little bit bougie, you go to Brooklyn and the Butcher. You spend more money than you normally would. If you've just got great taste, you go to the Cracker Barrel, right? Uh, My plan was to go to Brooklyn and the Butcher, because I'm bougie, and then I was going to go home and sleep on the couch like Baby Yoda in his flying saucer thing. You ever notice how cozy he looks? I was just going just gonna to eat and sleep, and that was going to be that, but not this year. Uh, we usually have a huge band, but it's hard to have a huge band when you have to stand six feet apart. Uh, the walls are shaking in three packed services. We gather and we feel invigorated, and we're reminded again Ain't no grave going to hold my body down. We've been planning for this service. I was so pumped about the artwork. I mean, it's been months. We remember, we gather and remember that if he walked out of the grave, we will too. But this is a different Easter than what we're used to. Uh, This year, it's very much an unexpected Easter. Two of my children are old enough to know what's going on right now. Um, they will remember the word coronavirus for the rest of their lives. And I, I suppose it was about a month ago now. Um, it was after the first week of kind of quarantine or the really heavy social distancing. It was really after our first week at home. Um, my son held my hand in my kitchen and he asked me, he looked up to me real innocently, he's six, and he looked up at me and he says, Daddy, is Easter canceled too? Uh, because that week soccer had been canceled, ballet had been canceled, school had been canceled, and his, his little mind wondered, is Easter canceled too? I cried in this room last week when there were no little hands awkwardly waving palm branches as they marched around this room as has been our tradition for many years now. More has changed more rapidly than I even had categories for. So, in so many ways, this is an unexpected Easter. In times of, I would say, great disorientation or uncertainty and anxiety, Uh, I find comfort, or at least I try to, in the wisdom literature of the Bible. Um, These are whole portions of the Scripture devoted to learning how to walk with care and skill amidst ambiguity, uh, to navigate the grayness when the right decision isn't obvious. Um, Wisdom is godly character and action amidst confusion and disorientation. So, a week or so ago... um, I went into some of my favorite portions of wisdom literature, and I found myself kind of disagreeing with the Bible, which in my vocation is a scary place to be. Um, So here's what I came across. Ecclesiastes 1, verse 9. History merely repeats itself. It's all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. So That bothered me because all of this sure feels new to me. No obvious answers as to how all of this will end. Uh, we, can't, we can't look back and say, well, how did the historic church handle digital church gatherings for a period of time? In frustration, I said to myself the other day, but there's never been an Easter like this. And uh, and then the Lord brought today's text to mind. Um, I say it was the Lord because I haven't been reading in John's Gospel since I guess once we really preached through it a little while ago, um, this wasn't the text that we were planning on preaching for this Sunday. And it um, came to mind, and as I read it, it absolutely pierced me. And so I, I want to walk through it and uh, consider some invitations for an Easter such as ours. So John 20 begins in an entirely bizarre and unexpected way. Verse 1 reads, early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. A couple of surprises here, particularly if you were living in around this period of time and this was the first time you'd ever read this. Um, first is that Mary Magdalene is the first witness to the resurrection. Tradition does not have a high opinion of this Mary, and I would emphasize their tradition. There's lots of unfair things that have been put on her, but tradition does not have a high opinion of this Mary, and her culture did not either. Her testimony would not have counted in court. Um, and in other words, if you're making up a story, uh, it's a very bad idea to have a woman be the first witness. The second surprise is that the stone had been rolled away and there was an empty tomb. Which if you read the other gospel accounts, is not what Mary was expecting. Thinking about this morning for several weeks now, I've come to resonate deeply with Mary's response to all of these surprises on this first Easter. In verse 11, it says, Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. So reading this, it was as if the Lord was telling me, yours are not the first Easter tears. It was as if he was reminding me that your tears are welcomed at Easter. If you find yourself holding back tears this morning, may those tears you're feeling remind you of the first Easter. May that remind you of this unexpected woman at the unexpectedly empty tomb, battling confusion and disorientation. Last last week, from Matthew's gospel, we were reminded that ours is a grace-built house. God will restore all that we are by grace, which means that in this house, there are room for your tears even on Easter. Listen to how verse 11 continues. As she wept, she stooped and looked in. What I found interesting about this is so she's crying. She already knows that the tomb is empty, but she kept crying and then she kept looking. She sees the tomb is empty. And yet she still stoops in and looks around. Mary's Easter tears were also curious tears. Now she kept crying and kept looking, angels met her there. In the place of her confusion and despair, they say to her, Dear woman, why are you crying? Which... you know, may seem like a pretty ridiculous question. She could not see this at the moment, but we can see it clearly now. There are many things that are unexpected, disorienting, and surprising to us that simply are not to God or his angels. A profound lesson we can learn this Easter is to keep looking for Jesus. Keep stooping and looking for him through the tears. My goodness, the angels must be thinking, why would you be crying? It's Easter. It's obvious to them, even though it's not obvious yet to Mary. In these times of confusion and disorientation and anxiety, keep looking for him, knowing there is something obvious going on, But it's just not obvious to you or me yet. The Lord has not been caught off guard. So he welcomed the searching tears of someone who loved him. Now what happens next is truly one of the most shocking details in the whole Bible. To me at least. Verse 14 It says, she turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, John says somewhat obviously, but she didn't recognize him. (laughs) What's so amazing about this to me is that the very thing she's searching for, the very person she's weeping over is right in front of her face, but she couldn't recognize him. And the text is stunningly silent about why this is. Regardless of the reason, which we'll speculate a little bit, I want you to recognize this. In this moment of such despair and confusion and her tears, hope was right in front of her. Life was right in front of her, but she couldn't see it. She was looking at God and thought he was a gardener. So why maybe did she not recognize him? I think thinking about this can, it might help us with how weird life is right now. The first reason I think she didn't recognize him was because she was looking for a body, a dead body, not a resurrected Christ. The other Gospels will tell us she was there with spices to anoint a dead body. She was looking for a dead man, not a resurrected one. What's so bewildering is Jesus told everyone he would rise. But no one was looking for a resurrected man. She was looking for a body so intently that she was blind to any other option. Despair, fear, pain can make us forget the story that we're in, even when God has told us the story explicitly. Unexpected Easter's like ours can blind us to the presence of God. She had forgotten what to look for. Maybe she didn't even know what to look for, and so she didn't see who was right in front of her. She was looking for a dead body, not a resurrected man. The second reason I think she couldn't recognize him is that resurrection is far more than we can imagine. When God brings new life out of tragedy, it's more beautiful than we could imagine before. It seems Mary didn't even have a category for resurrection. She wasn't looking for risen Jesus. She was looking for dead Jesus. She couldn't even imagine how hope would break through into her story. As the Gospels tell us, Jesus looked the same, but was not the same. He still had his scars, but there was something radiant and beautiful and transfigured about him. This isn't the first time someone didn't recognize him. He was somehow transformed and made beautiful to such a degree that those closest to him didn't recognize him until he made it clear who he was. And watch how he makes it clear to Mary. In verse 16, he says, Mary, he spoke her name. You may not recognize me, he seems to imply, but I still know you. If you are feeling disoriented or confused, if you are enduring an unexpected Easter rather than celebrating a normal one, I plead with you to find yourself in the stories of the scriptures. So much of the story of the Bible is unexpected. A perfect, fully sufficient, filled with delight and joy, a perfect God creates out of nothing because that's what artists do. They create out of the goodness And the abundance of his creativity, he makes a universe beautiful and filled with wonders. Because he could do it and he wanted to do it. Then he makes a creature in his own image. Not a slave, not a robot. He makes a creature in his own image, capable of knowing him and experiencing his goodness. And that creature disobeys. But God, he pursues his creation, clothing them. Providing for them and making a promise to them that rebellion and brokenness is not how the story ends. This story winds its way through more rebellion, through slavery and deliverance, through invasions and exiles and disease and centuries of silence. How would the promise be kept that rebellion and brokenness is not how our story would end? How would our prayers would be answered? Listen. No one was expecting God himself to come. And no one was expecting God would come as a baby. But the Son of Man came. The Word became flesh and made his home among us. He came not to be served, but to serve. Did anybody see that coming? He came not to serve, to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. And his rebellious creation murdered him. And with his dying breath, he pleads for their forgiveness. Three days later, weeping Mary didn't know it, but she was standing face to face with resurrection and life. And this God, so good and so patient and so beautiful, calls her by name. She didn't recognize him, but he was risen. She couldn't see through her tears, but he was risen. I know this is an unexpected Easter, but in some ways they've all been unexpected. I know it's an unexpected Easter, but he is risen. So listen, I don't know how all of this ends. I don't know when we gather together, but this day reminds me that life is coming. Resurrection is coming because I know he is risen. Suffering before glory is the pattern and promise of the Christian life. And this is no different. Become the kind of person that looks through your tears, straining to find the face of God. Look for his presence. Look for the signs of life. Stoop down and peek your head in like Mary. And open your ears to his voice, which will call you by name. Whatever whatever comes on the other side of this will be so beautiful we may not even recognize it. Do you realize this? The resurrection and life that is coming for us is so beyond our ability to imagine right now. Let this unexpected Easter fill you with hope. Right now, we are all participating in one bit of evidence of of what I'm talking about. Because, listen, do you think Mark Zuckerberg was sitting down and saying, I'm going to create a tool that will one day be the largest vehicle for the proclamation of the gospel the world has ever known? Do you think the inventors of Zoom sat back and said, you know what? We want to find a way to help churches stay connected and love people even when they can't see each other face to face. Do you think the men and women working in all of our internet infrastructure thought they were creating the most powerful tool for proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus the world has ever known? If you need evidence that he is risen, look at your computer screen right now. Have you not seen how quickly the church has adapted? How quickly the global church is retooled. All we did to keep doing what God's people do. He's risen. None of this is easy. None of this is what we wanted or how we expected it to go. But none of this will silence the message that Jesus, the hope of the world, is risen. We are a resurrection people. And we can face any circumstance knowing life gets the final word. Jesus calls Mary by name, and they are together. He doesn't explain what happened or rebuke her tears. They share a brief embrace, and he says, go and proclaim that he is risen. And here we are. Her unexpected tears gave way to the first missionary evangelistic movement, and here we are. So we come to communion, the sacred meal, in some ways to do what Mary did and experience the embrace of Jesus and go filled with the hope of the resurrection. So as you eat this meal, whatever you have in front of you, I want you to ask God for the hope and the imagination to believe that the resurrection will be more beautiful than you could even imagine right now. That the life that is coming after this is going to be so rich, so full, we may not even recognize it, but to fill us with that longing and confidence that it will come. So whatever you have, I want you to take a picture of wherever you are, whoever you're with, and let's post it on our Facebook page, wherever you see pictures. And the hashtag is Risen. That is our hope. Uh, We are entering into the Easter season of the church calendar now. And so we're gonna remind one another and we're going to fill all of these spaces with the truth that he is risen. And so we come to this meal to remember the night Jesus was betrayed. He took a loaf of bread. He thanked God for it and blessed it. And then he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body, which is for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. After the meal, in the same way, he took a cup of wine. And he said, this is my blood shed for you, which seals your relationship with God. Drink this as often as you gather in remembrance of me. And so here we remember the most unexpected reality of all, that a righteous God who was offended came to pursue his creation. His body was given for us. His blood was shed for us. And it would be the sacrifice of the king that would reconcile us back to himself. I'll pray for us. and then we will sing. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that you are a God who keeps all of his promises, even when we don't recognize it, even when we don't know what we're looking for. We praise you that we have the assurance that life gets the final word. I pray this day in the reality that Christ is risen would fill us with hope, would fill us with a longing and an expectation for the new life that is to come, both here on this earth and eternally in your kingdom. Enliven our spirits, awaken our bodies and minds to know that you are with us now. May we feel the presence of Christ, experience his nearness to us and go and tell the world that he is risen. We love you, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. we do to support this church or this neighborhood as a church. It's not our diligence at work or at home. It's not our incredible skill and productivity as parents. We are given full life. We become a whole church by grace alone. And if you see your brokenness clearly, if you see your need and you allow it to push you towards Jesus, do you know what he'll say to you in that place? Maybe you need to revisit what he said to these people in this story. If you can see your brokenness and come to Jesus with nothing, you'll hear him say, I'm so sorry you're in this place. I'm so sorry this is how it's gone for you. What do you have? What do you need? And most of all, you will hear him telling you over and over and over about how much he loves you. The delight that he takes in you, that you are his and you belong, not because you are worthy, but because he is good and he loves you. What's being revealed to us here is the heart of God. It is the theme of all the scriptures. Jesus heals and then he feeds, healing and feeding. It seems that in the drama of scripture, the healing of bodies and the feeding of bodies—healing and feeding go hand in hand, over and over. Healing our brokenness and nourishing our bodies, He's restoring us, all that we are—body, mind, and soul. I mean, one of the profound things the story tells us is man does not live on bread alone, but he does live on bread at least. We do have these basic needs, and even in these small ordinary needs. Jesus cares about them because he cares about us. Maybe that next time you feel the itch to do something, to do more, the restlessness, receive that as an opportunity to ask God for grace and to believe his grace is sufficient. See the stillness as a time, yes, to confess you are saved by grace, which many of us are good at, But the stillness now is an opportunity to learn to live by grace. To be a grace-built house means we accept our brokenness, but we reject the belief that being broken keeps us from God. We reject the temptation to do more, to please God, and instead we receive his pleasure in Christ. We remember his grace great and ultimate healing and feeding miracle that he gave his body to pay for our rebellion, to wipe away our sin and throw it into the sea. He gave his blood to seal our relationship with God. So we come to be healed and to feed off of Christ. In communion, we receive the promise that all we are matters to God and all we are will be made new again by grace. So I invite you to receive communion this morning. Whatever you have, whatever's in front of you, whatever you've prepared to eat and to drink, receive it as an invitation to rest in the grace of God. To receive again the promise that you are loved because you are his. And receive this grace of time over the coming weeks as an invitation to experience the grace of God. You have nothing left to prove and no one to impress because you belong to God. So we rest in this promise by remembering the night Jesus was betrayed. He took a loaf of bread, he blessed it and thanked God for it, and then he broke it. And looking at his disciples, he said, this is my body, which is for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the meal was over, he took a cup of wine and he said, this is my blood shed for you, which seals your relationship with God. Drink this in remembrance of me. So I invite you, wherever you are, take a picture of your family. Uh, You can post it on our Facebook page. We're using the hashtag still here. Let's flood each other's timelines. Let's flood each other's, um, our social media with this reminder that we are still here, that we are God's people, that we can't be physically together. We are together in spirit, that the family of God cannot be broken by mere circumstances. And let's receive the miraculous feeding of God that restores all we are. Not because we've earned it, not because of how well we've done these past few weeks, but because God is good and He loves us. Let's pray.
0: Thank you for listening. Keep in touch with Sojourn New Albany on Facebook or download the free Sojourn Collective app for iPhone or Android where you can see our full library of sermon series audio and video, discussion questions, event calendar, ministries, and much more.